Welcome to Ohi Cast, where we pull back the curtain to explore all things music to satisfy musical appetites. All are welcome here, from newcomers to longtime music fans. On each episode, special guests help shine light on topics ranging from concert repertoire, music of today, to the very own Ohi experiences. I'm Thomas Kotcheff, a composer and pianist, and you may know me in the Ohi family as the on-air host of the Ohi Music Festival livestream. Today is our very first episode to kick off the Ojai Cast, and for this episode, we're taking an in-depth look at the 2021 festival program and exploring the musical threads and narratives that run through it. This year's festival takes place September 16th through 19th, and it's the 75th Ojai Festival. That's right, 75. It's a landmark year, and this year the composer John Adams is the music director. To chat with me today, I have the Ojai Festival Artistic and Executive Director, the Ojai Program Book Annotator, who writes those fantastic program notes for each concert, and also joining me via Zoom from Mexico, is one of the featured composers on this year's festival. It's going to be a very exciting show, so let's get right into it and dive in. Sitting next to me is Ara Guzalimian. Ara has a long history with the Ojai Music Festival, ranged from being an audience member as a young man. Did you perform on stage as a young man, too? I did. I'm not going to tell you what year, but when I was at UCLA as a student, I sang at the UCLA a cappella choir, which came and was the chorus for a performance with the L.A. Phil and a pretty young Michael Tilson Thomas in, of course, obscure Beethoven, the incidental music to King Stephen, Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage, and Elegiac Song by Beethoven. I defy anybody listening to say, oh, I know those pieces. <laughs> so you've been on the stage. You directed the Ojai Talk series of the festival. You are now currently the artistic and executive director. Welcome, Ara. So happy to have you here with us. I'm thrilled to be here and beyond thrilled that we're finally looking at a in-person Ojai festival. So today we're talking about the festival as a whole, the narratives that run through it. Let's go with the big one first, the 75th anniversary. The festival was founded in 1947. It's amazing. A lot of great American musical ventures began in those post-war years. The Music Academy of the West in Santa Barbara is the same year, uh, also celebrating 75 years this year, or maybe even a little, I think they started in 46, so I think um, they're literally turned 75 this year. Um, the, the Aspen Festival began in 49, the Marlboro Festival in 51. Um, this kind of burst of post-war hope uh, and uh, marking that by the the making of music, uh, I think was a really important and obviously lasting uh, element of American musical life. And I keep thinking about the fact that we we hope we're coming out of this extremely difficult time, both in terms of the pandemic and and the horrific political conflict and and the racial um, uh, tension that has once again uh, uh, been a, made far too apparent uh, at the, the root of American society. So um, I hope once again that the making of music and the embrace of the unknown is just as much an act of optimism right now, not to mention simply being together, listening to music. 
I'm curious about the this year music director is John Adams and your curation pro- process with John and making this year's program. But specifically, how does 75 years tie into how you guys put everything together? Well, John, um, for me, is in many ways the leading uniquely American voice of composers of his generation. He holds a place not unlike Aaron Copland did in another generation. I think John... Did Aaron he, Copland also direct the music festival? Several times. Yeah. He was music director of the Ojai Festival, and I was aware of that, of his being there in, I think, beginning in the 50s and maybe into the 70s several times. Um, and so I wanted that very much American voice of John's for the 75th festival. We began to talk. I asked him two years ago now, almost two years ago, um, and we began to talk. And he immediately just flat out said he didn't want a retrospective. He wanted, uh, and that was rule number one. And the second was he didn't want a John Adams festival. Um, he is rare among composers in wanting to shy away from insisting on his own music. And so it was his idea that this festival be about a younger and young generation of composers and and that it's also an act of hope. It's, you know, it's literally placing faith in composers who are in um, late 20s, early 30s, and, 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 and a little more than that. And so that became the central connecting thread, and the other elements began to fall into place. Um, he chose several composers who have California roots, and that to me was the other important thing about John. The festival has had a disproportionate international reputation, but I wanted this year to be a homecoming, and John is the quintessential California composer. And two of the composers, Gabriella Smith and Dylan Mattingly, are um, California Bay Area composers who John has known and mentored since they were teenagers. Right. And so there was uh, those two. He had um, helped workshop a new piece of Carlos Simon with the Philadelphia Orchestra, a composer now based in Washington, D.C., and wanted to champion Carlos's music. Timo Andres is somebody uh, who he's also championed now in his mid-30s and a wonderful pianist as well as composer. It took a little persuasion in both directions, but Sam Adams, who is John's son, who also is a Bay Area resident composer and has really taken off on a career of his own, uh, he's been composer in residence for the Chicago Symphony and was to have been at the Amsterdam Concertgebouw if the uh, pandemic hadn't gotten in the way. And so it's terrific to have Sam as the next generation composer. And then a composer we're both fond of, who's a little older than than the rest I just mentioned, Gabriela Ortiz. But uh, Gabby is deeply rooted in her relationship with the L.A. Philharmonic. And it was also important to me particularly to reflect the history of California and the cultures of California. And Gabby, as a a very distinctly Mexican composer, 
um, really reflects the fact that, hello, California was once part of Mexico and indirectly Spain. Uh, and that's very much a part of the history. So that's the six composers that I think if the festival succeeds, the stars and the heroes of the festival will be composers, which all's right with the world when that happens. One thing I love about the festival is you get to reflect and see a side of 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 this year John Adams, but the music director, and and who they are and what they believe in. And I mean uh, Barbara Hannigan from two years ago, we know her as a soprano. We got to see her as the amazing conductor, but then you got to see her as the mentor. Right. You got, you got to see the, her bring in the next generation. And I'm really excited about this idea of John Adams, which we know him as the conductor and composer, but we're going to be able to reflect upon him as the, an advocate for new music, advocate for the next generation of composers. It's, it's really cool. Well, he's um, said in a gathering we had in Ojai a couple of months ago, he has now conducted the premiere of 100 new works uh, in his career, if not his own. Right. Um, and... Um, he, I know for certain that at various festivals around the country and various places, he has quietly personally paid for works by younger composers. Um, he really puts his actions where his mouth is in terms of championing young composers. And, and I think a lot of composers remember what it was like to be a young composer and have somebody recognize your work and open a door for you. And, and so I think he's paying it forward in a sense. It comes down with this concept of like next generation composers and, and you have a, kind of a large picture of the festival. How do you go back and forth with the specifics on which exact piece and which exact artist is going to come, come in? The performers next emerged um, because when we knew the cast of composers who were the people associated with playing these pieces, um, Timo Andrus, as I said, is a fabulous pianist and is doing a recital of his own and playing uh, work of Ingram Marshalls, which John will conduct, who's an older generation American composer, but still too little known, and John really treasures him and his music. Um, so Timo immediately, naturally came in. Um, a young quartet, the Ataka Quartet, who has championed the music of a number of these composers, including Timo and Gabriella Smith, uh, immediately also sort of popped into place, and they've championed and recorded beautifully John's music as well. Um, so they popped into place. We, um, I persuaded... John, which wasn't easy to have some of his music on the festival, um, that we should have two really beautiful pieces of his that just stand on their own. Um, Am I in Your Light from Dr. Atomic, uh, Kitty Oppenheimer's beautiful monologue on a, a poem by Muriel Brookeiser. And then from a somewhat neglected piece of uh, uh, John's, uh, called I Was Looking at the Ceiling and Saw the Sky, which is a more a musical theater piece. Um, Consuelo's Dream with a text by June Jordan. And it's, it's an immigrant's anxiety and dream about being in America. And, and so 
that to me is always timely um, since the subject of, of immigration and welcoming migrants is sadly a perpetual uh, political football uh, in in American history. So we I, I persuaded John to have those two pieces, which are for voice and orchestra. And we, we began to dream, and we had this, God, wouldn't it be great to have Rhiannon and Giddens sing those pieces? Wouldn't that be, you know, like the most fantasy casting? And um, damn, if we didn't get Rhiannon and Giddens, we asked. Um, she almost immediately said yes, looked at the music. So she's doing a concert of her own. She's singing her own music with the Ataka Quartet, music that she originally wrote and arranged for the Kronos Quartet. And then she's singing with John on the closing program, these two pieces I mentioned. And then John had very recently worked with Vikingur Olafsson, the Icelandic pianist, and was immediately taken uh, with him. And um, we asked Vikingur, who immediately, we asked him directly, who immediately said yes. And uh, he's playing with John and the L.A. Chamber Orchestra, as well as doing a really inventive recital in which he groups pieces of Rameau, Debussy, and Philip Glass on the first half. Like his album. Exactly like his album. He's a really inventive programmer. Oh, he puts absolutely. music together in wonderful ways, as well as the album that's about to come out, which is also unexpected because it's a Mozart album, but it's a lot of neglected Mozart pieces paired with completely forgotten contemporaries of Mozart, Cristofori and Galuppi and people like that. And he's dug up little treasures that, that frame Mozart within his own time. He's one of those pianists that I just want to hear what he's doing because I know it's going to be interesting and cool, kind of like Kobachinskaya and the violin. Like, I just want to hear her play a piece because I know it's going to be different and special and, and hers. And he's the same way. Every recording, I'm like, wow, that's that's him. Like he he put his stamp on it, the curation, the choices he makes. Like it's it's awesome. Like he's for me, it's gonna be a, a highlight for me of this year for sure. So the the elements, it's so healthy to begin with the composers and and then have a community of performers sympathetic to the composers take shape. Um it came together very naturally and because of the chance for the artists to do pieces they really want to do, uh, everybody said yes. And then there are some, to me, very important satellite events. Um, on the Friday morning of the festival, which is September 17th, at 8 a.m., Julie Tumamite Stencil, who is the elder of the Chumash community, um, in Ojai, and, and the Chumash community are the original indigenous residents of the Ojai Valley, and Ojai is, the valley is particularly rich in Chumash sacred sites and archaeological sites and rock art. Julie is going to lead a talk at eight in the morning in Seoul Park, which has a big, beautiful grassy lawn with perfect views of the Topa Topa Mountains um, and the morning sun just hitting it, talking about um, that particular landscape as seen through Chumash eyes and Chumash understanding and Chumash cosmology. 
again, to connect us to we are in this very magical particular place and we're coming home to it, especially uh, in on, on the heels of this terrible time of disruption. Um, speaking of 8 a.m. things, one aspect that's so unique to Ojai is ridiculously early and late night concerts. It's special. Like, I mean, most famously, Steve, um, Steve Schick doing a 4, a 4 a.m. concert of Feldman. That's correct. It was a five hour Feldman piece. Starting at 4 a.m., right? <laughs> Starting at 4 a.m. and ending at 9 a.m. <laughs> um, how do you go about programming an 8 a.m. or earlier concert or a 11 p.m. start time concert? Um, in an odd way, you concentrate differently at those hours. If you've made the commitment to be there, you're you're in it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so in a funny way, you can take even more risks during that time. Um, where, again, um, because of all the cautions in place right now and making sure everybody is, is safe, we have somewhat fewer of those. Um, but nonetheless, um, th there are a few adventures along that way. And I, one of the solutions was to do this talk with uh, Julie Tumamite, the uh, Chumash elder, uh, in a beautiful park setting at 8 a.m. and watch the, in September the sunrise is a little later, so the morning sun will just be hitting the mountains and that will have its own kind of quiet magic. You know, in my role at the festival, doing the live stream hosting, you know, from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m., I'm usually prepping and working for the, the afternoon and evening shows. So I never get to go to the 8 a.m. shows. But all I have to hear all day is everyone buzzing about how amazing and incredible those, those early morning shows are. Because, right, you said it's an experience. Like, you take bigger risks and it's like people come out with their jaw on the floor. Right. Well, as I said, if you're going to an 8 a.m. concert, you're in it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So maybe you can't say this, but do you have a personal favorite of an event, a piece, a moment from this year that you're looking forward to that you really want to hear? Well, it's almost easy to pick because there's one world premiere of a piece that nobody has heard before. It's a piece by uh, Dylan Mattingly. It's on an L.A. Philharmonic New Music Group concert. It's on Sunday the 19th at 11. And um, it, the piece is called Sunt Lacrime Rerum, um, which means these are the tears of things. It's a quote from Virgil's Aeneid. It's a piece for uh, two microtonally tuned pianos. grand pianos and two harps. And Dylan wrote it last fall. It's a co-commission with the L.A. Phil New Music Group in Ojai. And Dylan wrote it not only in one of the worst moments of the pandemic, but when the San Francisco Bay Area literally turned into a kind of hell because the, the, the horrific uh, wildfires were going on. And He's shown me some pictures from the days he was writing it, and the sky was this kind of ominous, um, really terrifying dark red. Uh, there was no normalcy just even to the sky. And he allowed himself the world out of this, um, as the reference to the Aeneid coming out of you know horrific war and being reminded, but coming out of it. And 
despite the conditions, it's an incredibly exuberant piece. And I've heard only the MIDI realization he made. Nobody has heard the piece. It's um, beginnings re rehearsals as we speak. Um, but there's an energy and release of this um, pent-up tension of this time that, as I said, the concert is outdoors, but if there was a roof on it, it would blow the roof off. And I just can't wait to hear it with the instruments and the sonority of two microtonally tuned pianos playing, you know, in the cracks between half notes uh, and two harps just going away at full energy. Um, I think it's going to be incredible. Interestingly enough, on that program, there's another pandemic piece. We'll hear um, what's likely to be the first live performance of a piece by Esapekha Salonen called Objet Trouvé, which he wrote last year in seclusion during the pandemic. And, and it's a much more um, kind of lone voice piece. It's for solo viola with a little electronic drone. Um, so, you know, we're beginning to experience the works that are in their wildly different ways reactions to the literal time we're living in. Last question. When you come back for the festival, which is in a couple weeks, what's the first Ojai restaurant uh, uh, coffee place? What are you getting in Ojai that's going to, you know, for you, what's your treat in Ojai? Well, I'm very grateful that the um, Ojai uh, Coffee Roasting Company opens absurdly early, given our schedule. Um, and I must say, um, pretty damn good bagel and locks to go with the good coffee. Uh, and I've become very fond of a restaurant called uh, Ojai Roti, which does um, rotisserie marinated chicken with all sorts of uh, Lebanese side dishes in a beautiful courtyard. But um, there's a lot of good eating. There's a, a great izakaya now in Ojai, hard to get into because it's tiny. Um, and whenever there's a great izakaya, I'm, life is good. Uh, a Japanese cuisine called Full Moon. And like the adventure of new music, just go explore and come and to Ojai and plunge. explore. All right. Thank you so much, Ara, for coming on today. My huge pleasure, Tom, and I'll see you in Libby Park before long. Let's listen now to an excerpt from Timo Andres's album, I Still Play, which will be a featured performance on Sunday, September 19th at Libby Bowl. Here is Timo Andres performing Philip Glass's evening song number two.
As a fellow composer and pianist, I have been a longtime fan of Timo Andres, and I'm really looking forward to his performance this year. It is now my pleasure to introduce the person responsible for all those fantastic program notes you read in each year's program book. He is also the author of Decoding Wagner and the editor of the John Adams Reader, a book about this year's music director. I'm joined now by Thomas May via Zoom. Welcome to the Ojai cast, Thomas. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. So let's begin by just talking about your process um, on writing these program notes each year. Sure, yeah. You know, it's I, I certainly don't have a formula for uh, the Ojai program notes. Uh, it, the last two years uh, since I've been involved, in fact, have each been uh, extremely unique <laughs> because, of course, last year uh, we, in the middle of, of writing and preparing the notes, uh, it was announced that the festival would go virtual. So uh, this is the first time, actually, that we're going back to um, to live Ojai. And uh, so so we have this, this homecoming happening. But I would say the, the notes are also, uh, for me, they're unique um, compared to the other uh, uh, the, the notes that I write for other institutions in that there's nowhere else do I have such a high percentage of absolutely new music. That is, that it requires an enormous amount of, um, and a delightful amount, I must say, of, of background research into the actual composers themselves. And that means, um, that that is in, into their life stories. And, and that means, insofar as possible, uh, interviewing them. So I have acres and acres of interviews with uh, all the composers involved in the O Prelude concert. Um, So this is what we're calling the Ojai Six, um, the six composers whose works are threaded throughout the the festival this year um, and chosen by John Adams. They um, were each extremely generous with their time and, and allowed me to just talk to them about their, their backgrounds and what motivates them. And I must say, it was it was a very inspiring process, too, because, you know, for all the um, all of the the, the really uh, difficult times that, that we've been going through and um, soul searching really in in this in this field and in the performing arts in general, um, this this was just such a. a, a delightful um new um breath of of optimism and um and and of fresh creativity for me to 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 really discover how much um creative energy there is out there and how how intense it is and how unique it is in each case um how different it is from uh, carlos simon to uh dylan mattingly to gabriella smith um, it, it really was a very inspiring process. So, so it came down to a close conversation with each of the composers, talking to them about their works, um, asking really, you know, the, the kinds of questions I, I think that audiences would be um, curious about, what uh, brought them into this world of, of writing um, so-called classical music, writing music for uh, these kinds of forces and uh, combining these kinds of sounds really and creating these kinds of structures. What would really motivate somebody to do that these days instead of writing a pop song or something that you know, may, may have a little more chance to, to make some money. <laughs> um, what, what is it that, that motivated that? What, um, what kinds of uh, 
relationships do they have to their own peers, to the music around them? What do they think about the tradition? Um, how have they been inspired by people like John Adams in that generation? Uh, of course, that many of them have, most of them have direct links with uh, uh, protégés in some way of, of John Adams. So, so I try to, to do that. And then there's, a, a, I would say, a process of just kind of mulling it over for um, some time and listening over and over to what I can. Of course, I, I don't have access to, to, to everything to, to listen. I mean, there's there's going to be a, a world premiere, for example. So there's a maybe mock-up I could listen to of Dylan Mattingly's new piece. Um, but I mull these over and I try to think about the contexts. Um, it's another big part of it. Uh, also, the the I would say the um, along with the composers, we've got very strong personalities from the performers involved, such as the Ataka Quartet. Now, I've had the uh, pleasure of um, speaking to them under um, in different contexts for other stories in the past, so I knew, you know, what sort of something about their aesthetic. But I try to dive into that a bit, too. The same thing with uh, Vikingor Olafsson, the pianist. Um, you know, his, his releases on uh, DG have been... Uh, so remarkable and each one just such a different world unto itself and of course he has his new recording uh, mozart and contemporaries coming out or will have just come out uh before the festival opens so i find that all very helpful as well to immerse myself in these worlds and it's also a lot of fun to try to think of um the threads that perhaps tie some of the different programs together i'm always surprised by being able to find um unexpected connections that that's actually a big part of the pleasure of this process as well right i mean a big part of the ojai festival is getting let into the music director's world which inevitably has these connections and these lines that are drawn and every year you just see this incredible almost like a map being built with with the performances Yes, I love that image, like a map. That's that's very true. Uh, and with when you have somebody like John Adams, um, you know, he's never been an ivory tower composer. You know, close off in his world, his whole way of being as 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 a musical being has has been from uh, from very early days to to uh, as an educator and as somebody who has been very involved in performance and and in um, bringing new music to light. So. So it's really fascinating to see uh, how he gets fired up by by this new generation, you know, and how it's obviously there's there's a real I would say there's a real um, beautiful spirit of kind of radical optimism in in what he's done and uh, and in what this overall what what this programming. Um, brings out for me, uh, that is an optimism about a, a belief in uh, the future of music, despite all the dire things that we hear over and over, and a real um, sense of optimism about different, um, ab about um, different modes of expression and how um, each of these has has such power and, and, and can be carried um, to such incredible lengths. The other big, kind of thing this year is the fact that it's the 75th anniversary and i was just mm -hmm. talking about this with ara what are your thoughts on 75 years of ojai yeah you know it's uh of course a, a great milestone and um what uh what a stamp ojai has made on our musical culture you know and and certainly um in, in, on california musical culture too and that 
interestingly, that became, from what I was um, deriving from this programming, that became a really uh, important and significant theme that is the, these California voices. I, for for all the history, and there is a beautiful essay in the program by um, the former uh, uh, long-term annotator Chris Haley. So he, he uh, really addresses that. But I felt my task was actually um, not to meditate on that history, but really to to look to the future, and that that seemed to be um, a very important. Um, point of focus for John Adams and for Ara for what they were doing in uh, conceiving this programming, which was to think of not a retrospective and certainly not a retrospective of John Adams' own work and his own 75th anniversary <laughs> coming up, but to, to look into, okay, what are um, some of the really interesting, personal, powerful voices that are emerging and that are um, already, you know, finding their, flexing their muscle and um, expressing themselves. So I would say in that sense, it's interesting, there, there are very few um, works from the, the, the canon. I mean, it, 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 depending on how you look at this, there's really, there's, of course, there's a, um, a Mozart piano concerto, but that's in the context of uh, Wikinger Olafsson's uh, new release and his other, his own recital, which will feature music of Mozart and contemporary as well. I mean, that, that creates a, a very, uh, I, I would say, innovative context for that. So th- there's very little um, uh, sort of backward looking in that sense to this festival. That's a fascinating um, aspect of celebrating, I think, a 75th anniversary. That is, what it's doing is Ultimately, though, it's certainly reaffirming the identity uh, of Ojai, what Ojai has always stood for, I think. And that is um, the sense that it cannot, it's a festival that cannot be pigeonholed, okay, into, um, you know, some sort of catchphrase or, um, you know, it, beyond saying it, it celebrates the composer and, and, and con- contemporary um, uh, forces of contemporary creativity. And I think that's very much mirrored by the choices John Adams and I, I have made. Um, that is the, each of these composers there, you can't, you can't pigeonhole them. You can't talk about actual trends. You know, that's, that's a really, that's something that was, was quite striking when it, cause I tried to do that. I was thinking, are there any trends here? And um, I mean, the trends to speak of are really, uh, they, they, they aren't the, the, in the traditional sense of, of kind of, musical language or stylistic trends, I would say. So in that sense, it does, um, I think the the programming does reinforce this, um, a, a sense of celebration of the 75 years of, of incredible history. And um, there is, you know, th- there are subtle threads there too, for example, um, uh, Stravinsky, say, who, who, who played an uh, important role in the past and from his California days um, is we, we've got just a short piece um, in the, the Prelude concert setting it, uh, launching everything, the Elegie. Um, and uh, that uh, is really also paying homage to uh, what we as a community have gone through in during the pandemic. Um, very, a very eloquent um, solo work. And that's, uh, yeah, that's a little piece there in the sense of of Ojai history as well. But right, because he was he was once the director of or, or music director, right? Igor Stravinsky. 
I believe so. Yes, uh, I, and and of course John Adams uh, was as well in the past, and uh, I believe it was 1994. So this is uh, you know a, a return engagement for him. Um, yeah, so there's subtle threads like that. You you brought up two of the reasons why I love Ojai so much, the festival. I love the fact that it's basically canon-free. Like, every year, we're at, like, under 5% of the music is from the canon. And second thing is, is every year, it's musical discovery, even for someone like me who have seen a lot of concerts, a lot of pieces, every year I'm discovering something new. And uh, it's always exciting to come to Ojai to hear the concerts for that, and, and for that reason. Absolutely. I, t- I completely agree with that. I mean, it is complete uh, <laughs> discovery all the way. Again, I, I can't really emphasize too much how, how thrilling it has been for me to make the acquaintance of, of some of these, for me, um, new composers. Some I have followed uh, over the years and, and known about a bit before, but it's that's really been an incredible joy uh, to... Um, to have that opportunity. And also there's a real sense of each of them being engaged in um, the, the, some really exciting projects coming up, you know, on, on the horizon uh, as well, as we hopefully do re-enter a, uh, more and more performance, live performance, and try to get back to um, a, a much more active and, and interconnected world that way. So, uh, but I, I absolutely agree with that observation, yes. I'm wondering if you could speak about one or two programs from this year's festival that really piques your interest or has a good yes, story behind yes. it. Yes, yes. Uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to even um, single out anything because they're they're also interesting to me. But, you know, I would start with um, certainly the, the Prelude concert itself. Um, it's just this gorgeous um, kind of entree into these uh, six different worlds where we get... Just and they're small pieces, really, but we get a real flavor of um, the the world of of each of these these uh, six composers. So, uh, you know, from from Carlos Simon and, and Gabriela Ortiz to uh, Dylan Mattingly, uh, Samuel Adams, uh, Timo Andres, who's also uh, uh, playing the dual role of. Uh, performer in his own recital and uh is uh switching hats there you know as we get to hear him several times as a as a composer as well and um yeah and uh gabrielle smith too um the each so we get a little uh, piece of each of their worlds and then we'll get to follow those through uh, in the later concerts uh, for example um we'll hear uh I think it's the LA New Music Group on Sunday, Dylan Mattingly's uh, world premiere of Sunt Lacrimae Rerum. Um, we'll get to hear Samuel Adams' Chamber Concerto. I'm singling out pieces that are, that are um, also among the longer ones of, of, of in the programming here. I mean, they tend, most of the programs are they're featuring these these really interesting. I wouldn't say miniatures, but 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 some shorter pieces uh, with featuring smaller forces. Um, but uh, we get to hear that uh, uh, during John Adams' own first co- conducted concert on Friday night uh, with the return of of the Ojai uh, Festival Orchestra. So that uh, his son Sam. Adams Chamber Concerto, uh, featuring a violin soloist, and um, also speaking of of that Miranda Cookson, who's 
uh, just a, such a fascinating uh, musician in her own right and responsible for a lot of uh, wonderful new music as, as a commissioning force herself. And so she's, uh, I, I think her recital is going to be very exciting. Um, she's bringing her own um, curation of, of, of new works there. I'm also very much looking forward to uh, Timo Andres' recital. I Timo's amazing. It really is amazing. And such a um, wonderful um, juxtaposition of, of compositions there. Uh, that, you know, that's another, um, I think, real interesting thread to the, the programs is this, well, of course, this sort of paradise on earth setting um, and the the presence of, of, of nature really in the background of all this music making. And, and there's a really interesting thread of, of nature I was noticing in some of the programs. Uh, there's, for example, um, and this I would tie this too uh, as well to the theme of of the California composers who have a very very strong sense of of identity um, with California, which also means with with its nature, with the sound of the the ocean, you know, the Pacific Ocean, with the sound of um, the the deserts. Um, there's, uh, for example, um, Gabrielle Smith. She she herself has um, she's very passionate about uh, environmental causes and these become intertwined um, to some extent in her in her music. Um, there's uh, a, the uh, the Prelude concert which gives us those those samples as I was describing. There's a piece called Mare, Portuguese word for tide, which she wrote uh, during a a scholarship she spent in Bahia, Brazil. Uh, on on the uh, the ocean there, and uh, it was a place that had experiences a very dramatic change of tides, where hundreds of feet, where you really have to map out, know, know what time of day it is, uh, going to be arriving the low tide and versus the high tides in order to navigate your way around um, that uh, where the institute is located, and it's for, written for it's such lively music. It's uh, it's written for a small ensemble. Um, and that will be at the Prelude concert. Um, so I, I think that's a really interesting thread as well um, in this this year's program. Yeah, I actually first met uh, Gabriella Smith, I think she was 18 or 19. Um, and I was uh, assigned to perform one of her pieces at a festival. And, you know, I didn't know how old she was. I was just the pianist coming in to play the piece. And I expected some, like, you know, old composer to show up and a kid walks <laughs> in the room and I was like, Oh my God. And the piece is awesome. And yeah. I, and I've just watched her the way she's continued to just develop her voice and, and her expression. And it's like, she was a wunderkinder and she's still amazing. Isn't it extraordinary? Yeah. So, so many of these um, composers, that's, that's actually um, another uh, theme there that I um, didn't even get a chance to write about, but it, it has been really striking to me is there uh Tremendous uh, precociousness. Um, so many of them discovering music at a very young age, and and in a really sophisticated way. I mean, I uh, when I spoke to um, Gabrielle about her uh, wonderful, another wonderful piano piece, um, "Imaginary Pancake," uh, which she wrote for Timo Andres's um, originally scheduled Carnegie Hall. Uh, concert which which got uh, of course canceled because of covid uh she she was describing um 
how she drew on memories of early memories of being, you know, uh, like 10 years old or something like that at, um, at camp and, and uh, a music camp and hearing um, so another kid uh, watching another kid really playing piano, just being, take, taking away this incredible memory of, of, of virtuosity on this part and w wondering like how he did that with it, with both hands extended at extremes and, um, and how uh, for a while she was convinced it was a Beethoven, it was something by Beethoven, but, but she, she uh, methodically went through all Beethoven's piano music and couldn't quite identify it and then realized this was, this was something she had kind of invented. And this is a great, you know, um, sheds a lot of light to me on, on, on composition, the compositional process for, for these wonderfully uh, creative people. And they, um, so she tells me that uh, it was really, she was recuperating this memory when she started writing Imaginary Pancake, uh, which is so, so full of raucous energy and is uh, also just brilliantly performed by Timo. He, he had something of a hit on the, um, online with his uh, YouTube performance that, that he published, you know, back in last spring, uh, I'm sorry, spring of 2020. So it was really uh, an interesting way to introduce that work, but this will be the first, I believe the first uh, live performance then before an audience. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you at the festival. I look forward as well. Thank you so much. And I really enjoyed the conversation, Thomas. Next up, we have one of the featured composers from this year's festival, Gabriela Ortiz, connecting via Zoom from Mexico City. She's Latin Grammy nominated and is one of the most exciting composers, not just in Mexico, but the world today. Her music brings together tradition and the avant-garde by combining high art, folk music, and jazz in a personal and unique way. Let's listen to her Rio de las Mariposas, which is being performed at this year's festival. Welcome now, Gabriela Ortiz. Welcome to the Ojai cast. Yeah, thanks. I'm very excited with this new upcoming festival. So we just listened to Rio de las Mariposas. Can you talk about this piece and your inspiration for it? Well, Rio de las Mariposas really brings me to my childhood. Um, my parents found this folk music band very famous in Mexico called Los Folcloristas. So when I was probably eight years old, my parents took me to this wonderful town in Veracruz. Veracruz is one of the states in the Gulf of Mexico. And this, uh, the name of this beautiful town, it's called Tlacotalpan. I don't know if you have read 
Hundred Years of Solitude by Garcia Marquez. But, you know, this beautiful term Macondo is exactly like Tlacotalpan. Let's say that Tlacotalpan is our Mexican version of Macondo in Colombia. It's a beautiful town, it's really magic, and the folk music there is very strong. It's a tradition like, I don't know, maybe if you're in Ireland and you hear this wonderful Celtic music in, in, in the pops, well, in Tlacotalpan it's the same. You hear all Jarocho music played on the streets, and on the top of that, you know, this beautiful town is besides the river Rio de las Mariposas, that in Nahuatl it's called Papaloapan. So uh, my inspiration really comes from that first trip that we, we did when I was nine years old, and we took this boat, and I remember listening to this wonderful Jarocho music. And then when I received this commission by this duo, it's a harp duo from Venezuela, immediately the connection was there because Jarocho music uh, brings the, 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 the harp. The harp is a very important instrument in that kind of music. So immediately I thought about, you know, this trip into, in, into the rivers of the Papaloapan and the music, the Jarocho music. So all the inspiration really comes from that wonderful trip and it's on my memory. It's like a beautiful dream. And so basically this is the main idea of, of that piece. And the piece also has a steel drum in it. How did that get in the mix? This is very strange. I mean, <laughs> when I was studying in London, I had to write a piece for steel pen and, and computer. Very strange combination. And I didn't know anything about the steel pen. And then I, I started, you know, listening to, to the music from Trinidad y Tobago. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, Caribbean immigration in England. So I went to these steel pan competitions and I, I, I really got mad with the sound of the steel pan. I, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, they, all, they have all these different sizes of, of drums, which are incredible. And I love the story of this instrument because, you know, these people start, you just hammering, you know, an oil a barrel. So the, and and start tuning the barrel. And so the, I I love that you know in that you know the creativity of a human being can be incredible <laughs> and create this instrument from nothing, from something that was on the trash. And suddenly they decided, no, that's we can do music with this, you know, barrel. It's, it's I think the story is incredible. So I love the sound and I love the combination with the harp. I think that it's a beautiful and unique combination to mix the timbre of the harp along with the steel band. I will say, hearing this piece, and I can't wait to hear it live, it does have such a unique quality of sound, those harps and the steel drum. It's just such a cool sound world. It's a great piece. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So this year, closing out the festival is the revised version of La Calaca. Can you talk about this piece a little bit? Well, you know, La Calaca is the fourth movement of, of a string quartet that I wrote for Kronos. I had this commission in a few years ago in 1997, and uh, it was a commission by Dave, I mean the, the David Harrington, the first violin player of the Kronos Quartet, and he wanted me to explore the idea of the concept of death through the Mexican history, and especially about the Day of the Dead in Mexico. So the, the piece is divided in four movements, and La Calaca is the fourth movement of this string quartet. So a few years later, I did a version for, for a string orchestra, 
And now what we are gonna hear in Nohai is the revised version of this uh, Ford movement for string orchestra, but I added little little things at the end, so it, it's gonna be really brandly new. Does the piece have a programmatic story to it? No, the piece doesn't have a pro programmatic story, but uh, each of the movements, I mean, in, in, in terms of the, of the structure of the whole string quartet piece, it does. Because uh, each movement, it's called, it has different names. The first movement, for example, is ofrenda, offering, and and for me, it's it's very, it's a very individual way to 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 offer music to our dead people. The second movement of the string quartet is called Mitlan, and Mitlan is the place of death for the Hispanic cultures in in Mexico. And the third movement is called Danza Macabra, and this is what, what happened when the Europeans, especially the Spanish, came to Mexico, and the mix between the pre-Hispanic and, you know, this syncretic kind of combination, uh, this is what it's, it's all about, the third movement. And the fourth movement, Laca Laca, is really what happens nowadays on the Day of the Dead, uh, uh, in November the 2nd and November the 3rd. Uh, if you go, if you, have you ever experienced that in Mexico, it's really incredible and really crazy because you could get everything. You go to a graveyard and there's people crying, there's people getting drunk, there's people having fun. And, and so we, we make fun of that. I mean, this is very strange in our culture, but, but you know, we have all these sugar skulls that we eat. And, you know, it's a very, very special moment for all of us, for all Mexicans. So uh, Laca Laca really is inspired in, 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 in those, in what happens in those, you know, festivities in Mexico. Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to hearing that piece as well. Can you talk about your relationship with this year's music director, John Adams? You know, I, I heard John Adams' music when I was uh, studying in England. And I went to hear this wonderful concert. I think that the, it was a premiere of the Chamber Symphony and it was John Adams conducting the London Sinfonietta. And absolutely that music blew my mind. I think that he's an extraordinary composer and and I love his music because it was nothing in in relation what you know the avant-garde you know European music was at the time that was completely different and I felt a connection with that something that is completely you know a, a different from Europe and 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 it's from this continent from America and and I and I was totally, totally uh, impressed about, about his Jonathan's music. Later, I think I met him personally through Kronos Quartet in San Francisco. That was my, my first time that uh, I met John Adams. And then I saw John Adams a couple of times uh, after, you know, concerts at the LA Philharmonic. And I went to, to hear City Noir by Dudamel and the LA Phil. So I basically, I'm very close to John Adams' music. And, and I think he's a wonderful composer, very unique, very powerful his music is. Yeah, one thing I've enjoyed so much about um, John Adams being the creative chair of the LA Phil is how much he's uh, been a believer of your music. And that's how I've gotten familiar with your music over the years, thanks to John Adams. And something special about him is being that, that advocate for, for new music, you know, and for other composers. Absolutely. And I, and I think that he really has a very unique uh, open-mindedness, which is very important nowadays. I think that we need to be open to all voices, to all 
kinds of music, diversity, and, and it's an important word. And I think that John Adams understands that very well. And he's a, a, a really important supporter for new music, especially from young composers. And this is incredible. I think that this is extremely important and I'm very grateful with him that, you know, he's supporting young composers and and, 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 and you could see that in this festival, no? Absolutely. We look forward to having you this year at the Ojai Music Festival, being there in Ojai. What are you looking forward to the most about being at the festival this year? Well, many things. First of all, I want to hear these new voices by these young new composers that not all of them, I, I know them. So I want to meet them and I want to, to, to talk to them. And, and I think that this is always in, incredible to me to, to listen to new music and new pieces and, 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 and to see that there is a lot of people doing interesting things out there. So that, that I think that is going to be incredible. Uh, also, you know, the, 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 the interpreters, I mean, I'm looking forward to hear, you know, the, the, the string quartet, the, the pianist, the, the violinist, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really excited about, you know, going and, and going to be able to, to hear them play. Also, because I haven't been in a concert in a year and a half. So as you can imagine, after COVID times, this is extremely exciting to me that finally I'm going to be in a festival here in live music. This is extremely, extremely important. And I'm, of course, I'm looking forward to meet John Adam again in, in John Adams in, in Ohio. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I can't wait. I'm counting day, my days. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one thing for me, uh, this is my sixth year doing the, the hosting of the broadcast. And every single year, I just love hearing the music and seeing the great performances. Every year, it's fantastic. And this year, no doubt either. We look forward to having you there and seeing your, hearing your music. Thank you so much for being with us today on the Ojai Cast, Gabby. No, thank you so much for the invitation. And I hope everybody can join us and, and because it looks very interesting this year, this festival. That's all for our inaugural episode of Ojai Cast. Thanks so much for joining us on this deep dive episode on the 2021 festival programming. More information on the composers, artists, and music discussed today can be found at ohifestival.org. You can follow the Ojai Music Festival on social media at Ojai Festivals, and you can follow me at Thomas Kotcheff. Come back for episode two, where we'll feature pianist Vicky Ray and Joanne Pierce Martin, composer Dylan Mattingly, and the chairman emeritus of Nonesuch Records, Bob Hurwitz. See you then.